Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Dota goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling 25-20. Got a block for Brock. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Don't win it. We're headed to Atlanta. Trubisky's going to run it. And he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring. Steamboat's got him up. A slam. Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is the telephone number. Follow me on Snapchat, SnapJHood. You follow me on Snapchat, I will follow you back guaranteed. Also on Twitter, Twitter.com, tweet jhood as we broadcast live. From our first Midwest Bank Studios. Strong, trusted, first Midwest Bank. On the program tonight, we will hear from Ryan Hollins. Why are we hearing from Ryan Hollins? Because Ryan Hollins lost a bet. He told me that if the Toronto Raptors win the NBA championship, he'd be on under the hood 10 straight shows. This is number 8 of 10 tonight. As you know, the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship. So we'll hear from Ryan Hollins coming up at the bottom of the hour. Also, the summer of football. If you are a football fan, college, pro, fantasy, if you're into football, we have something for you every night at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. The summer of football, the celebration of football, because it's right around the corner. We'll hear from Bill Barnwell. From the Bill Barnwell podcast, also a writer who covers the NFL for ESPN.com. We'll hear from Bill, and we'll kind of go around uh, the NFL with him. Bears, NFC North, some other stuff with Bill Barnwell coming up in an hour from now. Also, Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN.com, will be with us. We'll hear from him coming up at 8.30. Also, we have to find, not the funniest, not the silliest, not the most interesting, but the pettiest story of the sports Weekend, We have that for you at Petty Junction right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. With you for till 9 o'clock here this week. We're on summer hours or like uh, for the July hours here this week. So we're going to be with you until 9 o'clock. And then it's Freddie and Fitzsimmons taking over at 9 right here on ESPN 1000. So our shows this week are going to be condensed 7 to 9 on Tuesday, Wednesday. I'll be working for CAP doing 9 to noon on the 4th of July. So our shows are short, but you know what? we got plenty of information. We just have to condense it and get through it a little faster this week right here on ESPN 1000. Hope that you had a great weekend. Hope that you have a great Monday night as we're with you until 9 o'clock this week right here on ESPN 1000. Okay, so, you know, 
I look at the Chicago Bulls when it comes to NBA free agency, and if you heard me over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday here on ESPN 1000, you know that I hosted two free agent NBA specials. And so I was into it. If you follow me on Twitter, Twitter.com, Tweet Jay Hood, I'm retweeting everything that Woj, everything that Bobby Marks, everything that Mark Stein and others have to offer when it comes to the NBA. But uh, when it comes to the Bulls, uh, no surprises, huh? Thomas Sadaransky and Thaddeus Young, the choices for the Chicago Bulls. You know what the Bulls are like? The, the Bulls are like going to an office that you work at on your birthday. And you walk in, and you might have some expectations because, you know, it is the office and everyone should know your birthday. And you come to the door, and everyone doesn't know or doesn't care that it's your birthday. There's no balloons at your desk. There's no card that's signed by everybody else around the office. No cake in the conference room. That's what Chicago Bulls basketball is here in this offseason. While there's a big party going on in this room with the Brooklyn Nets because they've got KD and they've got uh, you know Kyrie Irving, you know there is a big party happening with the Milwaukee Bucks because they were able to re-sign Chris Middleton so that Giannis-Chris Middleton combo is still intact. While the Philadelphia 76ers are able to sign a couple of players to try to solidify themselves in the East, in the Indiana Pacers, Indianapolis, is a big party happening there because they were able to target a few players that go around Victor Oladipo once he's healthy. The Bulls, they just go into the corner office and they're just the hard workers in that office. Everyone else is having a party. Everyone else is a great coworker, but the Bulls are stuck in that corner office, and they got their head down, and they got their little light on, and they're just grinding. They're just grinding. That's what Bulls basketball is here in this offseason. While I could tell you about 20 teams in the NBA or more that made significant changes to their team, the Bulls roll out Thomas Sadaransky and Thaddeus Young. There you go, everybody. And here's the thing about those two. I don't have a problem with those two players because those are two players that the Bulls looked at and they thought, okay, these two guys can make a difference as far as veteran leadership on this roster. But the one thing that stands out to me like a big glaring red light is that clearly the Bulls are not enamored with Chris Dunn. They don't believe that Chris Dunn is the guy. We're talking about the Bulls in the NBA with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. They don't believe that Chris Dunn is the guard for the future. They tried it last year. Tom Thibodeau tried it with Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn told me face-to-face at the Hotel Intercontinental in Chicago that I'm going to be the best guard in this draft. And that has yet to be seen from the kid out of Providence. And if you remember on draft night, as I was sitting next to Chris Black and we were listening to the John Paxson press conference, he was going through all the players and talking about the veterans and talking about the young players and how they got to get better. But he forgot to mention Chris Dunn out of sight, out of mind. They're looking to turn the page when it comes to Chris Dunn. And so that's why they even drafted Kobe white. They had to because they wanted to get younger, more athletic, and more, uh, a little bit more energy, a little bit more sizzle with that stake at the guard position. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
But you could also address it in free agency. <laughs> you could also do that. You, and the thing that you've got to understand is that when it comes to free agency, you can see how a lot of these teams that's not even going to make it to the playoffs this year, they were able to really look into this and try to upgrade their position. You cannot go into free agency like it's 1999. You can't go in there in this this belief and this trust. We believe in our core. We believe in our process. We're not going to try to deviate away from our process. You've got to look at guard play. You have to look at shooting. It's as simple as that. I kept seeing guard after guard after guard just go by the wayside, just going to this team, going to that team, seeing Seth Curry go to Dallas, I mean, late here on this Monday, seeing a lot of other guards that were, I thought, really bargain basement prices for even the Bulls, and the Bulls felt good about Sadoransky and Young. Sadoransky is a player that can play three different positions, and we haven't seen the best of him as of yet. Watching, watching the Washington Wizards, I know Sadoransky is a nice player, but he has not been able to develop yet. So because he hasn't been able to really be a, develop, a, a player that can be a cornerstone, a guy that can really make a huge impact for your team, why does he have to be on the Bulls? If he hasn't bloomed, if he hasn't blossomed, if you believe in your core, don't you want someone else that could give you a little bit more than just, well, we see some signs from Sadoransky. That won't get it done. Why did you bring him on the team? Daddy Young is a nice player. It's a nice player. He, he's also 31. And yes, you do want to have some veterans on this team. I get that. He's a guy that didn't give you 12 and a half points a game, six rebounds, two and a half assists. His PER is 16.28. He's been around for a long time, and he's a guy that was in the draft in 2007. as a first pick, uh, a first round pick in the 2007 draft. That's fine, but it's not a difference for this Bulls team. What I was looking for is a guard that can be able to play along with Kobe White, to play behind Kobe White, whatever it is. You don't you're gonna put the ball in this young man's hands. You're gonna make a lot of mistakes. You want to have a veteran guard that you know that can be able to knock down threes. But this approach, like it's 99, 2000, oh, you know, we really believe in our core. And that really is the bottom line of all of this. When the book is written on the Gar Pax era, the title should just be, you know, the, the feeling should be, well, trust. That should be the title. It should be trust. Because the trust in a core and going to that core and feeling that core will be able to get you to the mountaintop and riding until the wheels fall off is not the NBA of 2019. You know the teams that know it's 2019 that you got to make moves? Teams like the Indiana Pacers. Pacers more than likely will not win the NBA championship. But you know what? In this NBA, in this stratosphere now, it's wide open. Wide the hell open. Because you look at the teams that were able to make a difference, and you take a look at Milwaukee, and you see Philadelphia. No matter how much money was spent, they're just trying to get themselves in a position where they can succeed. Where they can figure, like, okay, you know, with Golden State being down and really no favorite in the East until Kawhi makes his, his mark, this is where we are. Same thing with Brooklyn. Same thing with, uh, with the Indiana Pacers. Same thing with Boston by getting Kemba Walker. 
And I understand that the Bulls were never going to be in the hunt for some of these top 10, top 15, top 20 choices when it comes to free agency. But you, you easily could have looked at guards to be able to push Kobe White, to be able to give you a little bit more because having a big that's 31 and Thaddeus Young is fine, but doesn't necessarily mean that that's difference-making for your franchise. Unless you just look at your franchise and say, well, you know, we believe in this core. We just have to see if they're healthy and then just take the 10th and 11th seed and get back in the lottery. What is the plan? I've been saying this for years. For those of you who have listened to me for a long time, I'm asking what the plan is. Now, listen, if you are John Paxton or if you're a guard foreman, what you're looking to see is whether or not your players can stay healthy enough for you to evaluate. Like I like Zach Levine, you don't know what he can be if he's healthy. You don't know what Laurie Marketing can be if he's healthy for the long haul. That's what it's about. And, and so I look at all these moves, and I'm just enamored by how much money that was spent here in free agency. Well over $2 billion was doled out there across this league. And the Bulls, uh, you know, what we're fine with what we have here. That means that you're not even trying to be an 8th seed. And here's the thing. 7th or 8th seed, you'll take that versus not being in the playoffs. Or rolling the dice thinking that if you tank, that you can get a top draft pick. You saw how that worked out this past year, right? Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. All those teams in the East, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Toronto, Indiana, Boston, Detroit, the Orlando Magic got better. The Heat got better by getting Jimmy Butler. And then you figure, like, if you're the Bulls, that same Bulls team that was not satisfied being 7th or 8th in the East, according to John Paxson and Gar Foreman, when Jimmy Butler was here or when Dwayne Wade was here, they weren't satisfied with that. So, So when will the jump happen? I mean, listen, this is a situation where you want to be able to be that young, hungry team that, other free agents will look at it in 2020, 2021 and say, yeah, that's where I want to be. Yep, that's it. That's the spot right there. I want to be in Chicago because they got something young and exciting happening with this team. It just Right now, it's just not one of those teams, unfortunately. In an NBA, they can be had now. In a league in which if you're in the East, you can be able to get in the playoffs if that's what your goal is. But in the meantime, and in between time, the Bulls are that team that's in the corner office. No one celebrates that birthday. No flowers, no balloons, no confetti. It's your birthday here in free agency, and no one does anything for you, and you don't do anything for yourself. It's a lonely existence when you suck and when you are underachieving. And so this is where you are. All these teams, all the stuff that I was retweeting, all the information I received was great across the league, but didn't happen in a major market like Chicago. Which brings me to some of the other things that happened in um, free agency, and it was crazy. It really was crazy. I'll start from the top and talk about the Nets and the Knicks. So if you heard me talk about this this weekend, then you know where I'm going. If you didn't hear my shows this weekend, this will be new to you. So there is a distinct paradigm shift in New York between the Knicks and the Nets. When it comes to the Nets, the Nets uh, are that cool team. And I thought they would be when they first moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn. I thought, okay, Jay-Z, Beyonce, the Russian owner, Prokhorov, 
things are going to start changing for the Nets. They're going to be at the new Barclays Center. Things will start changing for this Nets team. And it was a slow process. But they were very impressive last year. Even though they were 42-40 and 40 last year, they were very impressive. And they had max money available. They had those slots available. And the thing that you continue to hear, that I know I've heard over the years, is that, man, it would be something if you could win in New York. It's one thing to win in Chicago like Michael did. It's one thing to win in Los Angeles like Kobe and Shaq did. But, boy, if you can win in New York, right? Well, the Nets, being that cool team, being that team that has some money that's uh, available, Kevin Durant, the number one free agent, says, I'll leave Golden State and I will go to Brooklyn and set up shop. And Kyrie Irving's coming with me. Kyrie Irving will play next year, and we won't see Kevin Durant until after next season. But the thing is that they're setting up shop. Now, I want to make sure it's clear. This doesn't mean the Nets are winning the championship next year or even in a couple years. But I think the storyline is missing. It's missed on a lot of people that this story is not about if the Nets are going to win the championship with Kevin Durant. The story is is that the Nets have taken over New York as the primary focus in that city. The Knicks are a dumpster fire, and they are a team that's in the back. The, the David Stern-era NBA fan will always tell you, yeah, you know what the uh, NBA really needs. Boy, if they can only get a winner in New York, you know that will really help the league. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's one thing for me to complain about the Bulls and wonder when the Bulls will start winning again, but it's nothing even close to where the Knicks are. The Knicks are the bottom. That's the floor, okay? The Bulls at least have some upside with their young players that we can look forward to seeing over the next couple of years. But with the Knicks, it's the bottom. James Dolan is the owner of that team, and James Dolan is one of the reasons why that you saw KD and Kyrie put a middle finger up at the Knicks. We had a guest on on Newsday, uh, from the Newsday, uh, Steve Popper. He was one of the writers. And he was on yesterday, and I asked him a specific question. I said, what is the selling point for the New York Knicks? And he told me, the garden, you know, the tradition, um, you know, the Knicks over the years, the garden. Really? Really? It's not the head coach, not David Fisdale. It's not, you know, a winning tradition. It's not any of those things because they have nothing to sell. So when someone tells you, well, you know, it would be better if the, the Knicks, if the Knicks were good, the league would be good, that's garbage. It's BS. Don't believe that. The reason why you don't see teams flocking to the Knicks is because if you're a free agent and you're a good player, why would you want to help them? No matter how much money they have. You know, you can get that money in Brooklyn. You can get that money with the Lakers. You get that money with the Clippers. get that money in Dallas. You can get that money in a lot of different places. But this is why the Knicks are relevant. Have not won a championship since 1973, and people talk about the Knicks like they're special. They are not special. They're the second team now in New York. They are a they are a joke. And yes, and people oh, they got Julius Randle. Well, the reason why they had to spend money is because you can't be at the floor when it comes to free agency. You have to spend money. <laughs> you know, it's like health insurance. If you don't spend something on it, you're going to lose it. You know, so you got to be able to do something with your money, right? And so I, that's why the Knicks spent money the way they had to because the the one thing they have going for them is flexibility. But they've had flexibility before, so what's the big deal, right? 
It, it, just, it is an, an impossible situation in New York right now. It's not going to change anytime soon. So Bulls fans, take solace in that. There's something way worse than the Bulls, and that's the New York Knicks. Bulls have a lot more upside than what the Knicks have. There's no question about that. I, I look at some of these moves, though, like Kemba Walker going to the Celtics. And, and by the way, shots fired on Michael Jordan, too. Michael Jordan, and we've talked about this on the show before. I remember, I'm old enough to remember doing sports radio when Jordan retired and people jumped on the Bulls and said Jordan should be the GM. Jordan should have ownership of the Bulls. How come the the Reinsdorfs and everyone else that has ownership of the Bulls don't let Jordan in? Well, I don't, at the time I said, well, I don't have a problem with him having ownership, a piece of it, but not controlling ownership. Michael Jordan was a great player, the best player I've ever seen play in the NBA, and the worst owner, one of the worst owners in the NBA. Dolan is right there, but really like the two like the Spider-Man meme, James Dolan and Michael Jordan are pointing at each other. That's exactly what's happening. Kemba Walker could have stayed in Charlotte, and he said, you know, I love Charlotte, but you never built around me, so I'm going to go to Boston. So, so Kemba Walker, their best asset is right there. And by the way, here come the Hornets having to reset again as a franchise. You know how often this has happened? They've been in the playoffs three times and never won a playoff series since Jordan's owned it. He, Jordan is great. His brand is great. But his ownership sucks. It's awful. Philadelphia feels like that they could be one of the top teams in the East. Al Horford signed for huge money. I'm still like, wow, he's 37, but he's got a four-year, almost $120 million deal. That's a lot of money. But they feel like Horford and Embiid as a one-two punch can really be able to help on that on that end. Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, that's a lot of money for Tobias Harris. There's a guy, there's a guy that's been all around the league, but Philadelphia wants to be able to rein in an asset to be able to help their team. Indiana, boom, baby, as they say with the Indiana Pacers. They were able to get Malcolm Brogdon on the team. That's someone I'm sure that the Bulls kept hearing that they coveted Malcolm Malcolm Brogdon, a 50-40-90 guy. Now he's with the Pacers. And so now they've gotten some they've gotten better with some of the moves that they've had. They're gonna wait for Oladipo to be ready by the all-star break. Milwaukee getting Chris Middleton, locked him in along with Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's very interesting as well. Uh so you know. I look at Utah. Utah did a lot of great things to get themselves better. I really like the moves that they made. Portland locked in Damian Lillard. That's a positive for them. I look at um, the um, the Golden State Warriors with uh, with D'Angelo Russell. Um, that's going to be interesting because I got to talk to Nick Friel about that coming up at eight thirty. We'll talk to him about an hour from now about uh, D'Angelo Russell being part of this Golden State Warriors team. What does this mean? Like, like, can we see at one point next season, not this upcoming season, but the following season, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Russell on the floor at the same time? That very well could be happening. People think that Russell is immature. I think he grew up in Brooklyn, and I think he's got something to prove from his time with the Lakers. So Sacramento got better. I look at all these teams that were able to make moves, and everybody can't win the NBA championship, but I tell you what, the difference between last year or the last five or ten years and this upcoming season is that it is open. It's open. There's a number of teams that have an opportunity to make some noise and get to the top because Golden State's not winning the championship. But who is winning the championship? Many of you that complain and you moan about the NBA, well, you know, the same teams win all the time. I don't understand. Because the NBA has been is based on dynasties. That's why you have 
one team that will win three, four championships because it's based on dynasties. Well, for those of you that moan and complain about dynasties, well, now your chance because Toronto more than likely won't win the championship. Of course, that all depends on Kawhi. Uh, but that is uh, this will be interesting this upcoming season. First of all, we are in free agency season. Then we get to the summer league. <laughs> so it doesn't stop at the NBA. It's going to be very, very compelling. I've enjoyed it. I haven't slept much, but I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but when it comes to the Bulls, getting Sadoransky and, and getting Thaddeus Young is fine. Not bad moves, but I think you need to be able to upgrade your guard spot. And with any of these veteran guards that were available, they did not do that. And I, would, I would love for the Bulls to be in that conversation of, wow, look at all this money and look at all the opportunities for free agents to come to Chicago, the top-notch ones. It's not happening, unfortunately. All right, coming up, we'll hear from Ryan Hollins, our NBA expert. He has to be because he lost the bet. So this is the appearance uh, 8 out of 10 for uh, Ryan Hollins. His thoughts on NBA free agency and the Bulls. That's coming up next on UTH. Jonathan Hood. Hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished? When I would ask tomorrow, y'all thought it was winning? On ESPN 1000. Maybach Music. Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's the Cubs and the Pirates at PNC Park. Here's Jesse Rogers with a report. Jess? All right, Jay Hood. Cubs trying to climb back in this one. They were down 7-1, to one, now 7-4 to four in the top of the fourth inning. Brad Brock. Reliever just with an RBI single to bring the Cubs within three. Albert Azalei's uh, first game against the Pirates did not go well. Ten hits given up in two and two thirds innings. His command was off. He hit a batter, and his fastball was flat. Josh Bell two for two with two home runs in the first two innings of this game off of Azalei. He's gone. Brad Brock in there. So the Cubs were down early, but fighting back now. 7-4. Javi Baez, by the way with a home run to put the Cubs on the board in the second. Back to you. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad that you're with us. NBA free agency was off the hook. Ryan Hollins covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN Radio. He joins me here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Ryan. What's up, brother? You know what's up. You know what's up. Free agency, <laughs> it was just, it's the best that we've ever seen. The the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, they wish they had an offseason like this. This is just amazing. No, you're right. And, and you know, it's not just about one team. And I think, you know, maybe we've been disappointed in the, in the past when LeBron joined Miami or Kevin Durant uh, went to Golden State. But I, I feel like there's so many good teams out there. I'm thinking, obviously, Brooklyn, uh, Philadelphia, Boston, uh, seems to have come back. And then, you know, pretty much the last man left, Kawhi Leonard. So, I mean, golly, like this is <laughs> honestly arguably the best free, biggest free agency I've ever seen in the NBA or that I ever remember. Yeah, it is It is great. So I'll, I'll ask you this. Do you believe that Kawhi Leonard holds the keys for the balance of power in both the East and the West? I actually do. Uh, here's the reality with, with Kawhi. 
If he goes back to Toronto, they've got the same core intact. Him, Pascal, Gasol, and those guys, they're going to be favorites to come out. If he joins LeBron James, I, I don't even need to give you a breakdown for that. You know it. You know it's going down in L.A. And mm-hmm. if he joins the Clippers, man, that's a fine run organization, and that's, I mean they're going to be they're literally contenders. So uh, I mean he I I don't think I've ever seen a player uh, that can tilt different organizations as such. Uh, even when LeBron went to Miami, you you knew that was kind of a set deal already. But this Kawhi Leonard move, you've seen teams not just say, hey, we got another guy for you to play with. Hey, Kawhi, we've got a full-on organization that is built around you and, and ready. And, uh, Jonathan, my understanding is that the Lakers are really emerging as favorites here, kind of backdooring the Clippers. Yeah, uh, the Clippers need their own Magic Johnson to get this done. <laughs> That's the only thing. They they need a smiling Magic Johnson working the back channels with his uncle to get it done because – Here's the scenarios. If you're Kawhi Leonard, and, and this is why it's a hard read, you're Kawhi Leonard. Do you want to be the man going back to Toronto or being the man with the Clippers? Or do you want to be part of a team that could be ready-made for a championship with the Lakers? I mean, it's a, it's a big choice because I felt at times last year that Kawhi was really carrying the the Raptors, where he had to really exert himself, go above and beyond in some of these games to be able to stretch himself to be able to get that championship. And I don't know, does he want that for next year? Because that's probably what it would be with the Clippers, maybe not so much with the Lakers because of so much talent. I agree. And, you know, the thing about Kawhi Leonard, he's going to do what makes himself happy. And he's beyond that stage where did you win a championship? Check. Did you win one on your own? Were you were you the lead? Were you the the, the lead singer in champion? Yeah, I, w- I was that guy. So uh, for him, it's, it's choosing happy. You know, obviously this is a guy who grew up a, a Lakers fan, and you know he he knows the difference between the Lakers and the Clippers. But the Clippers are the ones which is tough is that they've made all the perfect moves. They've made all the right moves, and I mean, really, if you look at if he ends up being a Laker. This is all clutch sports. This is a hundred percent clutch sports. As much as uh, some in the in the Lakers, uh, you know, I don't want to say staff, but some people advising Jimmy Buss and and, and and that organization say, "We'll trade LeBron. We don't want to become clutch sports. We don't want Tyron Lue." Well, uh, all those people need to be either kicked out of uh, you know L.A. or anything Laker to do with because man, LeBron and his his squad they are making it happen. Ryan Hollins with Jonathan Hood as we talk about NBA free agency on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You know, Ryan, I, I look at what the Nets did as Kevin Durant. I think he had like a hundred thousand dollars set up. He was going to have like this big announcement on his Instagram, but then when it leaked, he was like, "Nah, just put up the slate. Just put up. I'm going to the Nets." <laughs> I think I think he yeah. he's going to have this. I think he had balloons. He had pyro. He had it all, Ryan. And it woge. He ruined it. So he's just like, nah, just put it up there. That's okay. Just take all these lights down. I'm good. Um, but but KD and Kyrie as a combo, uh, it, we, 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 here we are with the Nets. To me, this speaks to the Nets being even more relevant. It's not even about today. It's about a couple of years from now if these two can coexist. How do you see it? No, you're right. And, uh, you know, they've really been the East Coast Clippers. And I, and I say that in terms of, uh, going with veteran leadership rather than staying young, uh, developing your young talent, and picking a, a playing style and sticking to it. 
you know, the, the Nets were a team that really attacked downhill and then kicked out for open threes. They didn't fall in love with the three-point shot, and they built themselves uh, really kind of, uh, you know, with a nice little inside-outside attack. And you still have Jared Allen there play in the middle, and then you get add on DeAndre Jordan, so you have a plug-and-play scenario where, as a as a player, you go, man, I can go flourish. That's his system, and you know, a little different than Brad Stevens uh, for in terms of Kyrie Irving, uh, they get up and down, and they they attack rims. So uh, you're you're, you're going to get a, a nice punch there uh, from Kyrie, and he's going he's, he's going to be put into a system to where. You know, Durant said, hey, this thing can kind of coexist and last without me. And who knows, maybe he's back, you know, ready for the playoffs or, you know, get able to give some type of minute. So, and I, you really have to fall in love with what Brooklyn's doing. And, I mean, golly, this, I mean, this is tough on Knicks fans. But I'm, I'm sure, you know, a couple of Fairweather Knicks fans will have no problem uh, flipping, flipping their jerseys around, man, or showing up <laughs> to the Nets arena, rather. You, you know how that goes. I just, you know, to me, so yesterday I'm, I'm on there with um, Jeff Dickerson and Royce Young, who covers the NBA. And we did our, you know, free agency special yesterday on ESPN Radio. And Was that you that so, snubbed me calling in? Yes, that was me, yes. Oh. <laughs> I, I just saved you for Chicago. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. that was me that hit the uh, uh, end on that call. Um, so, they, so a writer comes on from Newsday, right? And so I asked him the question. I only had one question because we had limited time. So my one question to this writer from Newsday was, what is the selling point for the Knicks for 2019 free agents? You know what he told me? He told me New York City, you know, the Garden, you know, the Mecca, you know, the franchise. That same David Stern era BS, man. That's are you really is that all that you're selling? I would I would tell you and you tell me that I'm wrong. That it, for a player in 2019, you're not selling a building. You want to sell the city, that's fine. The city sells itself. But the idea that Madison Square Garden is a selling point for athletes today. In the 90s, fine. You, I mean, because you can put it up there and talk about the Ewings and all the great players from the, from the Knicks. But for millennials, when they see how bad this franchise has been for 20 years, you're going to sell the Garden, you know, the franchise, New York City. you got nothing to sell. That's why those those guys are going to Brooklyn, <laughs> because if the Knicks were were viable, all the free agents would go there. That'd be the first choice. So it's just the same tired, twenty five year old. Yeah, you know the Garden and you know the Knicks. That doesn't work today. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're you're right about that. If you hadn't had a chance to visit where the Nets play the Barclays Center, I mean it's as state of the art as, as they come. So you, you want to play in this brand-new place, or do you, you want to uh, play in the Garden? And don't get me wrong, the Garden has a lot of history, but it, it doesn't mean the same. And a lot of these kids were probably not even alive when, uh, you know, John Starks and, and Ewing and those guys are definitely not in the Frazier days. And it, it does not mean the same thing. Uh, and the fact that Brooklyn, you know, they're not somewhere off in New Jersey. They're, they're right there. They're, they're right in the heart of New York, man. So... Uh, it, it, it is a, a, a bigger, bigger sell. And, and Jonathan, you know, I'm even intrigued, man. Do they, they need to completely renovate the garden? They've, they've got to, they've, they've got to do some things to get free agents to play, man. And the same old arena, the same old spiel is is not going to work. Now, all that said and done, Jonathan, we do have to understand that if KD doesn't get hurt, right? Zion Williamson is drafted number one we're probably singing a different tune. 
and maybe this is just karma coming back around to the New York Knicks saying all this tanking, all this, you know, you know, projecting into the future before you have something is it's not going to work out. That's not, it's not how you how you conduct yourself and you appreciate a team like New Orleans that just grinded out through the season, tried to win games and they end up with Zion Williamson. Karma also says, don't throw out Oakley. Don't throw him out of the garden. <laughs> don't throw out one of your, your, your most beloved Knicks ever. At least it's not on national TV, though. <laughs> Maybe save it for after. You know, revoke his privileges quietly. Just a, just amazing. You're, the, the, the selling point's the building. How about the franchise? Like, like I play for David Fisdale tomorrow. I play for Steve Mills tomorrow, but not there. You know, that that's just my thought. Okay, so I need your help with the heat. I've been asking this question for a couple of years now, and you can see Pat Riley has awakened. He is he is uh, up, and he is doing things. I know people in the Miami uh, area were wondering, should Riley retire? But clearly, he's wheeling and dealing. But I need your help with the heat. With the signing of Jimmy Butler, trading Hassan Whiteside, which was a miracle, by the way. That is a miracle that they got out of, I mean, a miracle. I mean, like a Sunday miracle that they got out of that contract, okay? And, and now he's with Portland. So what are the Heat with Jimmy Butler? What? So I don't see. I still don't see him as a top eight team. What are the Heat with Jimmy? They're a playoff team. You know, they're, they? they're a playoff. It's an interesting swap, and uh, you got to understand. You know, for a guy like Jimmy Butler, hey, where, where, where's he played? Chicago, uh, no disrespect. Uh, Minnesota, and then Philadelphia. Those are all cold cities. So maybe he wanted a nice little vacation, man. LeBron wanted it. I mean, it's not a it's not a bad place to. Uh, to, to go and play, and then obviously, uh, you know the toughness fits. And you say Pat Riley, what do you want? Do you want to you want a tough guy? Where is probably the toughest guy in the NBA? And Jimmy Butler. So uh, I, I like it from that aspect. And Jimmy, go be happy. Make sure you get the bag. You sign your max with Philadelphia, uh, and, and things work out. But it, it, this wasn't the hey, you know, he's joining up with LeBron, he's going to be a Clipper, he's going to be a Nick, you know, and the three of them are going to the Knicks. That, that, that's not how things worked out. Okay, so if you have the heat in the playoffs, I'm trying to get your Atlanta Hawks in the top eight. How does that work? How does oh, that don't work? worry about that. I got two years, brother. I got two years. Wait, no, no, no. I got two years to make it happen. Wait just a second. I think you set up this program that that the Atlanta Hawks are going to make the playoffs next year. You did say that, we right? We can run the doll. We can run the tape back. I gave myself two years. Run the t- somebody grab the tape. Somebody grab the tape. I, got I don't think years, so. Man. I don't think you said that. I said. I think no, you no, said no, no. that if if Atlanta doesn't make the playoffs, you're going to be on here for another ten episodes. Well, That's what you, you said. Like to bet, would you like to wager ten episodes that I gave myself two years? Two years? No. One year? Yes, I would wager that. No, no, no. I, so you. So if. I if we go to the tape, and I say that is two years, gave myself two years. You will owe me ten interviews. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't think that, I don't <laughs> think you. I don't think you said that though. I think that you. I think you said Atlanta's going to make the playoffs next year. And I'm just trying to figure out what Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn, Toronto, Indiana, who's got better. No, 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 by no, the no. way, I, I want I want your radio handshake because I know I said two years. Okay. I know I said two years. Okay, what if Is you that didn't? a radio handshake? Yeah, you absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, oh, oh ten episodes from Jonathan Hood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to save them for every major holiday. Christmas, Hanukkah, Father's Day, Mother's Day. 
your vacation, which you rarely take. Which you, which, when did you take your vacation during the NBA Finals this year? <laughs> yes, because I want to enjoy oh them. My God. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh my uh, God. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure how your Hawks get in there, uh, but you know, Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn, Toronto, Indiana, Boston, Detroit, Magic. Heat. You you like the oh, oh exactly. You said the magic. <laughs> uh, magic. Uh, they made some moves now. Hold yeah, on. Yeah. You know what? What you know? No, no. Don't worry. Don't worry. When you see it, you'll believe it. Seeing is believing, my brother. It is going to happen. I gave myself two years, so uh, you know, I've got a nice two-year buffer, and I'm I'm up plus ten because we're going to get that audio. Oh, okay. Who's the Hawk signing of free agency, man? Well, you like their young core, you told me last Friday. I love them. It, it still takes a team. It still takes a team. Don't worry. As a matter of fact, they had a big pickup. Who did they trade for? Yes, yes. Who did they trade for? They just got, um, golly, they got somebody nice, too. The Atlanta Hawks. It, it, that's not That's not why I, why I called. I, I called to ask you. <laughs> I asked. I thought oh, to ask you about these yeah. other teams that are relevant. Not your team is going to make the playoffs. Well, look, man. I, I mean, th- the big bomb that we talked about is Kawhi Leonard, and it's, if you've almost noticed, there was all these. You know, it was fireworks. I mean, Woj bombs were, were exploding all over the place, and everything kind of died down. Saying, "Hey, Kawhi, where is it, Kawhi? Kawhi, where is it? You, you mm-hmm. know, where, where, where's it going to be?" So. Uh, I mean, that's the big. That's, that's that's the big. You know what everybody's waiting on now, man. Um, your thoughts on Thomas Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young going to the Bulls? Sadoransky, right, my friend, he's a, he's, a, <laughs> he's a nice, crafty point guard. Okay. Uh, sorry, Bulls, you didn't. There's no fireworks there, but I mean, listen, right now, if you're looking at the Bulls, no, they signed somebody else nice. Uh, I forget. There's somebody else that, that went there. For, forgive me for being this great analyst that forgets all the names. No, it's just a, it's just it's Thaddeus Young and Thomas Sadoransky from the Wizards. That, I like. I really like that for for his veteran leadership. But this is about a rebuild, man. And you saw what uh, Otto Porter did as soon as he got here. The team started winning, started playing better. He's one of the greatest locker room guys that I've ever played with. He's just a calming force, and now kind of coming into his own as a veteran, even though he's always had that veteran mentality. So. Uh, you really have to have to like those moves because it, it, it's not a, a playoff year. Sorry, sorry, Chicago. But you want to see Lori and and all those guys and Levine and those guys really, really improve. Yep, I think that's uh, that's fair to say. I mean, I got Cam Reddish too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, it's, it's, if you if you're the Bulls, you, what you've been looking for, you want you don't like Chris Dunn. Clearly, there's a disconnect between the Bulls and Chris Dunn. But you did draft for Kobe White, which is fine, but you still need a veteran guard. And all these guards went by the boards, and and Chicago is not there for them. I mean, Seth Curry is one of the last quality guards off the board, and he went to Dallas. So I don't even understand how you don't try to find a viable replacement for Chris Dunn if you don't want him on the team. So that's it was interesting here the last uh, 24 hours. Well, I mean, all, all is done. There are a lot of teams that still have to uh, you know find ways to clear cap and they're kind of in, in this, uh, you know, superstar type of race and, and figuring things out. So there, there still could be a deal done. You know, all, all isn't lost. And, you know, it, honestly, you know, Chicago started out as a mess. And I love the direction that they went in the second half of the season. I thought that they had really 
you know, built something. And once, once like I talked about, Porter got there and they, they stopped refusing to practice as one of the worst teams in the league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it things worked out. But I, I just think you're looking at a guy like Zach Levine that could have a, a D'Angelo Russell all-star type of breakout this year. So, I, I mean, the, the pieces are there. I'm not putting big promises out for Chicago but you like the direction. And in and, and another year, and a, and a guy like Thaddeus Young, might I add, he's a guy who doesn't need the basketball to be effective. The offensive rebounds, he runs floor, he hits open shots, he cuts the rim. He's going to make all the smart plays, so now you're piecing guys together to play off of Zach Levine. My friend, as always, I appreciate your time. I'll talk to you tomorrow. It'll be uh, number nine, I huh. believe, tomorrow. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> 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 there he is. Ryan Hollins with me here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000. You guys lose this game or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. This one thing that got me tripping. This one thing that got me tripping. This one thing that so made It's time for one question with me, Jonathan Hood, here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We do it every night at 7.50. Hey, people are busy. It's weeknights, you know, especially holidays running around the corner. We don't have, some people don't have time for a full interview, but they do have time for one question. So I had Felix, and we were going back and forth and going through our phones and said, who could we have on for one question? Going through the phone, going through the address book, and we found NBA vet Kendall Gill from NBC Sports Chicago. He joins me here on One Question right here on ESPN 1000. What's up, Kendall? Hey, what's up, Jay Hood? Hey, man, are you ready for one question? I am ready for one question. That's all okay. I got time. Okay. <laughs> That's why I called now, because I know you got, you got stuff going on. So here you are, sir. One question. Right, here's the one question. Kendall Gill, what is the best fight that you've seen in the ring or outside of the ring? Well... I think the best fight that I've ever seen inside the ring was Ali Frazier 3. That is the best fight that I have ever seen. I can't tell you the really good fights that I've seen outside of the ring because I've been involved in some of some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I really was hoping for an NBA fight that you might have witnessed. <laughs> that wasn't in the so ring. I, was, I, was, I was in a lot of them, but no, I was... <laughs> I really witnessed too many other guys getting into fights. All right. And that, my friends, is one question right here on ESPN 1000. Bill Barnwell in the Summer of Football is next. Jonathan Hood. Because all we trying to do is do good. Put on my hood when I walk through hoods. On ESPN 1000. The Summer of Football. We're just having fun and we're working, baby. With Jonathan Hood. Come on, baby, let's get it. And we're working, baby. Pressure now on Mahomes. He's in trouble. Now gets it away. Are you kidding me? Barkley up the middle. Cuts to the outside. Saquon Barkley across midfield. Standard bounds. 
summer of football. Boy flips it open. Justin Ross, off and running, and Clemson strengthens its grip on this championship game. Williams in the game for the first time this year for Notre Dame. Takes the handoff and takes off all the way for a touchdown. Let's be great, baby. Let's go. The summer of football. You got it. Work right here on ESPN 1000. I think we ain't there yet. And the ESPN app. It's the summer of football right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood with you. We are always looking forward to some terrific football conversation, whether it's college, whether it's pro, whether it's fantasy. Today, our special guest is Bill Barnwell from the Bill Barnwell Podcast. Also, check out his columns on ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000. Bill, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. What excites you most about the upcoming NFL season? Man, I I think there's so many interesting things happening with the league, and there's so much diversity, I think, coming when it comes to the sort of offenses we're going to see in the NFL. I'm writing a column right now about the, you know, different weapons that are available to each team, and I'm thinking about the Ravens and the Cardinals. Not two teams whose offenses may not be very good even next year, but two teams where you have this, this total... Uh, you know, these totally opposite concepts where you have the Ravens who want to run the ball a ton, are going to bring back stuff we haven't seen in 30 or 40 years from the running game in some cases, uh, have a quarterback in Lamar Jackson who ran the ball more frequently than any quarterback in the history of the National Football League as a starter a year ago, and they're going to play slow. They're going to want to hold on to the football, play great defense, kind of a traditional way to win. Cardinals on the flip side, look at Cliff Kingsbury, look at Keller Murray. That's an offense that wants to throw the ball probably 70% of the time, if not more, an offense that Really, I only have 30 or 40 plays in the entire playbook, and an offense that wants to go fast. They want to get as many possessions, as many chances to score as possible. So uh, I think just the, the sort of stylistic diversity of what's going to happen in the NFL, uh, and of course those are two of the mediocre offenses. I think even the great offenses have a lot of questions to answer. So I'm really excited about uh, how the league is changing and becoming more of a uh, – uh, there's more of a disparity, I think, in terms of how the offenses are going to try to approach scoring points in 2019. You know, when you and I were growing up watching football, we didn't realize how far behind the NFL or some of the NFL coaches and offensive coordinators were when they had new talent coming in from college. Like, I I enjoy the NFL. I love college football. I'll watch college football from 11 a.m. Central to the Hawaii game until 2 a.m. Central. So I'm watching because it prepares me for the draft. That's why I really want to focus myself on college football. But the thing is, like, you can see all these quarterbacks, Bill, that can put up these huge yardage in the SEC and in the Big 12 and all these different conferences. And back in the day, that, that NFL coach or that offense coordinator says, well, you got to fit into our system. Instead of like accentuating the positives and hiding the negatives, there was the, these NFL coaches like, no, this is how we do things. It would screw up really solid college uh, quarterbacks, and, and it would really mess up an offense. So I, I like the idea that uh, Kingsbury's in place or some of these other coaches that are progressive enough to understand this is what this guy did in college. Here's how he can help us in the NFL. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've seen with guys who have succeeded in recent years, and of course, perfect example that comes to mind is Patrick Mahomes, last year's league MVP, where you know, there's some stuff you're going to take from a college playbook. There's stuff you're going to take that, uh, you know, is going to play to your quarterback's strengths. And I think the league is changing. I think you're seeing teams like the Chiefs and, of course, the Bears as well, where it's okay. We have a guy who is not perfect, who has some flaws. Well, let's give him some time to develop. Let's see what we can, you know, play to his strengths, what we can get of him that's going to, you know, really sort of play to what he can do best in the football field as opposed to taking a guy. And I always think of Michael Vick as a classic example where, you know, is Michael Vick going to play in Jim Morris, West Coast? offense and you have this incredible talent who you know you're trying to get him to do what you want to do as a coach as opposed to taking your skills as a coach and maximizing what you're going to get out of him as a football player and so i think that's for that's for the better i mean the league is definitely changing there are going to be people out there who don't like that chiefs rams game from a year ago and not every game is like that of course but uh, i think we're seeing a league that is you know more entertaining and built more around uh you know playing to guys strengths getting the most out of the talent that we're seeing come out of the college level you know what, Bill? I think we discovered a column. I think here, here's the column. The, here's the, here's three thousand words. You ready? Here, write this down. So, qu- so quarterbacks that were bust that shouldn't have been. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, based I, on I, like I thirty-five, forty touchdowns in college, these guys, this list of guys, shouldn't have been a bust in today's NFL. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, look at look at. It doesn't even have to be a guy who busted. Think about someone like a Jared Goff, right? Mm-hmm. First year with Jared Goff, my rookie quarterbacks do struggle here and there. But with Jeff Fisher, Jared Goff looked like an absolute mess of a quarterback. His numbers were horrific, even in a half season, even given the situation he was in. Now, of course, year two, Sean McVay comes in. They had a couple weapons, but Todd Gurley was still there. The offensive line, half of it was still there. Um, and Jared Goff looks like a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. And now, I think Jared Goff would have improved in that first year, but if the Rams hadn't hired Sean McVay, if they just kept Jeff Fisher along or hired a, you know, a defensive-minded coach who hadn't brought in uh, a, a really impressive quarterbacks coach, Jared Goff might be, you know, on his way out. We could be sitting here, you know, three years later saying, hey, Jared Goff is not an NFL-caliber quarterback. So it's tough. I, you know, I feel bad for guys who don't end up in the right situation, but... It really, these coaches, these offensive minds, they're so important and so valuable to a team's success, and that's why, of course, it's great that the Bears have a guy in that caliber, I think, in Matt Nagy. Check out the uh, Bill Barnwell Show. Wherever you download your podcast, look for the Bill Barnwell Show. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, for our Summer of Football on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. And speaking of Chicago with the Bears, how, how do you see the Bears, Bill, versus the rest of the NFC North? What are your expectations for the Bears? It's a wildly entertaining division. Huh? I, I really think there's, you know, so many different ways that this division could play out. And last year, uh, you know, positive, negative, positive. I, I sat there in February and I went through the teams and I said, what's the most likely team to kind of follow in the Rams' footsteps and go from worst to first? And the Bears were my pick. Now, granted, if you'd asked me, are the Bears going to have that actually happen? I would have said absolutely not. The Packers are coming back with Aaron Rodgers being healthy. The Vikings added Kirk Cousins. They're such a deep team. I would have the Bears maybe 8 and 8, 9 and 7. Would you know, maybe yeah, certainly a, a better year than they had the previous season, but I did not see 12 and 4 coming. And of course, you know, you trade for Kuel Mack. That's going to help your defense. Um, and I think there's a really fascinating situation here in that you know, if the Bears went 12 and 4 again, I, I wouldn't be shocked. There's a ton of talent on this roster. If they went 6-10, and 10, I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't be shocked either just because this is such a tough division. They're playing a first-place schedule. The defense 
so healthy, so effective last year. Hard to see that happening uh, just because so many things have to go right for a defense to be as good as the Bears' defense was a year ago. Um, still going to be very good, I think, but probably a little bit of a step backwards. And, of course, I don't think I'm, I'm being, uh, you know, standing out here by saying so much of what happens this year is going to depend on Mitchell Trubisky and his development. So uh, I, I think it's a division that's totally up for grabs, outside of maybe the Lions, who I think are sort of off in their own universe, uh, struggling a little bit. But uh, I think a division where the Bears could finish first, Bears could finish third, Bears could make the playoffs, Bears could miss the playoffs, any of those possibilities really are on the table for me. I think with Trubisky, Bill, I, I feel like he's somewhere between – I guess 15 and 20 as far as the uh, top quarterbacks that start regularly in the NFL. I thought there was a lot of sleight of hand, a little razzle-dazzle by Matt Nagy. I think he realized what he had with Trubisky, and, and, and not saying that it's bad. It was just kind of a work in progress. The offense was a work in progress because, uh, ideally, if Matt Nagy comes from the Kansas City program, comes from working with Andy Reid, that ball's got to go down the field. And it was a lot of it was side to side. A lot of it was you know five and dime. A little you know if and a lot of it was if his receiver was covered, he'd just tuck the ball and run. Yep. And yes, he can run, but that's not exactly. I don't think that's what Nagy wants. So I, I look forward to seeing if if Trubisky can improve getting down the field to his targets. Absolutely right, Jonathan, and I think that. Part of that reality is just Victor Trubisky hasn't played that much football. This is a guy who really only spent one year as a starter at North Carolina. And then a guy who, his first year with John Fox, that offense, I mean, there were games where he threw, what, 10 passes, uh, 12 passes, and that was his entire output for the entire game. So that first year, you don't want to write it off. He did get some, some reps, and that, that is really valuable, but... This was really the first year for Mitchell Trubisky as a, a full-year starter uh, at this professional level after about 700, 800 reps above the high school level. So he's really just a guy who we're still seeing what he has to offer. And I think about that, that Eagles game as a great example in the playoffs where he was bad in the first half. I mean, mm -hmm. you look back, watch that game again. He probably had three interceptions dropped. He could have thrown them out of that game, but then, hey, end of the third quarter, that fourth quarter, he was awesome. He was a phenomenal quarterback in the fourth quarter of that game, and honestly, probably, of course, given the kicking situation, should have won that game with the throw he made uh, in the fourth quarter. So the, the tools are there, and where that's going to go, I, I think it's tough to say, but I think they've surrounded him with talent, given, given him a great coach, and I think at this point in year three, this is where you start taking the training wheels off. This is where you say, hey, even if it's not, you know, even if that, that receiver is available to you uh, on, on a screen or on, on a quick hitch, we want you to throw the ball downfield. We want to challenge you more. We have to see what we have here because now we're thinking about, okay, not only is it just uh, succeeding in 2019, but also do we want to keep this guy on our roster for 2021 when his fifth-year option comes up? Uh, when I look at the Vikings, uh, you know, there's someone I know very, very, I'm, I'm very, very close with that thought that the Vikings would get to the Super Bowl last year, and that person's on the other side of this phone call with you. Um, so, so the Vikings, I think that you know, defensively, I like what they have. I'm just concerned about the offensive line for uh, for Cousins. Could they take another step this season? Because that's the only thing I'm wondering about as far as protection for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There seems to be a, an offensive line concern there. It comes off and on for years. There's been years where the offensive line has been injured. It's been banged up. They've had some players who haven't really panned out. Matt Khalil, their left tackle in years past, being a, a more significant example. Um, 
there's certainly talent here. You know, they spent a first-round pick in Garrett Bradbury, who's going to play center, but now you're moving Pat Elfline, who was one of the solutions in general from center to left guard. Hey, he hasn't played left guard in a few years. We're going to see how that turns out. Josh Klein, they added that at right guard. He was better in years past, but he was a mess in Tennessee last year, and they cut him one year into a, a multi-year contract. So he might not be the answer at right guard. It's still hard to say, and I think – they're going to rely pretty heavily on Gary Kubiak, who came in as a, uh, I believe, an advisor on offense, but they're going to change their offensive game. They're going to run outside zone a lot more frequently with Dalvin Cook. That's going to be kind of the focus of their offense. They're going to get back to play action. Kirk Cousins had a lot of success in a similar scheme, uh, running similar sort of concepts uh, off of play action in Washington. So that makes sense. But, I mean, this is a team that the, the part that I don't get, and Mike Zimmer is a great coach. He's an incredible defensive mind. He wants to run the ball more frequently than any other team in the NFL. That's really what he wants to do, and he fired uh, John Filippo last year because they weren't running the ball frequently enough. But you spend $30 million a year, close to $30 million a year on Kirk Cousins. You have Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, in my opinion, the best one-two punch at wide receiver in the NFL. You spend a ton of money to bring back Kyle Rudolph. He's a second-round pick on Irv Smith at tight end. And you want to run the ball more. And it just doesn't add up. This is a team that I think, uh, you know, isn't built to be the sort of team that Mike Zimmer wants them to be. And I think as long as that's the case, you're going to have offensive dysfunction, whether the offensive line is improved or not. Bill Barnwell with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Uh, go to uh, wherever you download your podcast. Look for the Bill Barnwell show, show. A lot of great content there when it comes to the NFL. Bill, is there one team that you can't figure out? this upcoming season that you are not sure about? Oh, well, I, I think there's a few. I think it depends on what sort of team we're looking for. A team that's kind of on the cusp for me and has been for years now is Tennessee, mm-hmm. where you're always sort of looking at their roster, and there's a ton of talent there. I mean, there's, there's you know, a very solid defense, a very good offensive line. Uh, Corey Davis, I think, is very promising, a wide receiver, a bunch of defensive backs who are talented, who have experience taking the football away. Malcolm Butler, Kevin Byard come to mind. Um but it comes down to Marcus Mariota, right? I mean, this is a guy who we've been waiting now for years for him to have his breakout season. He has these moments where comes up with a big fourth-quarter play, wins them a playoff game. Uh, they came back against the Chiefs a couple of years ago, and you sort of figure he's going to have that season next year, and they, they've changed their personnel, they've changed their coordinators to try and get the most out of him. It just hasn't happened. The guy can't stay healthy. He's inconsistent. There are games where he looks totally out of sorts. Uh, and they've lost coordinators year after year. This year it's Arthur Smith, who hasn't been a coordinator at the NFL level or a play caller before. So uh, it's another, not going to change a lot about their scheme, but it's another new mind running things for the offense. And I, I don't know that it's ever going to happen with Marion. I don't know that he's ever going to be able to take that leap. And if he doesn't, I don't know that Tennessee is going to take that leap from 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven to 11-5 and five or 12-4 and four and sort of have that season like the Bears did a year ago. And then on the flip side, I think about San Francisco, a team that the numbers would sit, sit here and tell you, hey, they're the most likely team to kind of take a big leap forward from a year ago, similar to the Bears, the Colts. I think the Colts are actually a really good example for a comparison just in terms of, well, the Colts didn't have Andrew Luck for most of or for all the year before. Jimmy Garoppolo missed almost the entirety of 2018 for the Niners. Get Garoppolo back, probably in decent shape, but 
I don't know about this defense. The secondary is a bit of a mess. The offense, I mean, it, you know, it looked okay with Nick Mullins, but is Garoppolo ever going to stay healthy and, and stay healthy long enough to lead this team into the postseason? So uh, I think those you know, different sorts of ways. The, the Titans, I think, I don't know if they're going to take that leap. For the Niners, I think anything is possible from, from uh, you know, 5-11 and 11 to 12-4. To and four. Wow, it's just that's a huge swing. I get it. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. So, lastly, uh, so you're an ideas person, so am I. So we got to figure this out together. So, what is the solution to get free agency in the NFL as compelling and as petty <laughs> as the NBA? <laughs> How's that? How do we get that to happen? There's one really simple solution, and then sadly, it's never going to happen because NFL owners will never let it happen, and that is to get rid of the franchise tag because in the NBA. I'm sure the Warriors would happily uh, franchise Clay Thompson. I guess they may not Kevin Durant because of his injury, but a, a ton of these, these high-level free agents, Kawhi Leonard, for example, he never, ever would hit the free, uh, free agency market because of the franchise tag. Toronto would, would move players around to franchise him, of course. In the NFL, franchise tag keeps the best players off of the market, and the threat of the franchise tag uh, forces players to negotiate. And you'll have exceptions. Kirk Cousins, of course, went year-to-year on the franchise tag, but just the nature of the NFL, the attrition rate, um, the, the, the relative infrequency with which players get paid, adds up to making it very difficult to have the sort of exciting free agent period that we see in the NBA. But you took out the franchise tag, and Aaron Rodgers hit free agency, Patrick Mahomes was a couple years away from hitting free agency. Uh, I think you would see a lot more exciting moves and a lot more movement when it came to players uh, at, at the top, top tier with the players who really care about uh, at the end of the day in the NBA and in the NFL. Your column on the NFL offense, is, is it going to drop soon? Yeah, I think it's going to be next week. I'm still going through it. Uh, I don't know, Jonathan, who do you think has the best weapons? Uh, no, don't consider quarterback, don't consider head coach. Who do you think has the best set of weapons for a quarterback in the NFL? I leaned, well, if you asked me this last year, it would be Atlanta, because I was very excited about uh, the, the Falcons. Um, yeah, and they, they're up there for sure. Wonders, is, is it, now, is, I is, said, is, last year I said the Chiefs, and... That, that one turned out okay. I've made worse, worse decisions than that. I think I had the Dolphins in the top five a couple of years ago. That did not turn out quite as well. <laughs> but would, would you put the Browns up there after adding Odell Beckham? You have Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, uh, David Njoku, uh, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt coming back after his suspension. You have the Eagles with so much talent. And, hey, you have the Bears who have a ton of talent on Mitchell Trubisky. I think there's um, you know, a lot of different options out there. Patriots? The Patriots have to be in the discussion, but even without Gronk. Um, the Giants, even Saquon Barkley and Golden Tate, that's a good start. I mean, there's a lot of teams I think you could put in there, but I think it's tough because so much of this off, so many of these offenses they start based on the head coach, the offensive play caller, and, and the quarterback. Would the Chiefs be as good without Patrick Mahomes? Well, I think that's tough to say. Vikings with Diggs and Thielen. It's a lot of answers. That's why the NFL is so popular, because you look at the offense. There's a lot of different ways you can go there with that. It's a lot of ways to uh, skin a cat. Is that the phrase? I don't remember what the phrase That's is. Right. But That's right. A, a lot of ways to score points in the NFL in 2019. <laughs> the Bill Barnwell Show. Wherever you download your podcast, uh, find that podcast and hit that subscribe button. Bill, as always, we appreciate it. We hope to talk to you in season. Sounds good, Jonathan. Thanks so much. Jonathan Hood. If you know, you know, when we all clicking like Golden State, and you and your team are the motorcade. If you know, you know. Mm.
on ESPN 1000. Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights at 7 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's the Cubs. It's the Pirates over at PNC Park. Yes, Jesse, they're getting killed, but you have to do this update anyway. <laughs> do I really? 12-5, bottom of the sixth. Adbert Azulay lasted two and two-thirds, ten hits given up. He gave up home runs to Josh Bell in the first and second inning. Bell with three hits tonight. Moran with four hits tonight. I mean, it was just a batting practice evening so far for the Pirates. Uh, certainly against Azulay. Brad Brock came in, uh, gave up a couple runs. Rowan Wick came in. Gave up some damage, so nothing happening on the mound for the Cubs tonight. Javi Baez with a home run. Brad Brock actually with an RBI single. That was a highlight for him, his first career hit. But it's too little, too late for the Cubs right now. It seems like at least 12-5, bottom six. Back to you. Under the Hood with Jonathan. Indeed, it is Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. In case you didn't catch that, we are with you here until 9 o'clock. Then it is Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons with Myron Metcalf right here on ESPN 1000 the ESPN app. So I mentioned earlier, uh, tonight, Tuesday, Wednesday, shorter shows, uh, got holiday time shows between 7 and 9, and I'll be with you also on the 4th of July sitting in for David Kaplan from 9 to noon right here on ESPN 1,000. Let's turn now to Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN.com. He joins me here on ESPN 1,000. Nick, as always, I appreciate your time. I want to get your thoughts on a number of things with the NBA. But, man, what are your thoughts on the Warriors post-KD? Hoodie, that is a team that is going to race up and down the floor and get up a ton of shots. Uh, So in that regard, uh, Russell fits exactly the way they play. Likes to get up and down, likes to shoot it. My question moving forward isn't so much this next season because who knows exactly when Clay's going to come back, although the Warriors are confident he will come back at some point. It's whether or not Russell fits for years to come. And that's the key from the Warriors' perspective is because they just didn't want to lose KD for nothing. And when you make that kind of move and you sign a guy to a a max deal like Russell, you have the ability for him to help you right away, uh, which seems like he will in the framework of what they've already built in Steve Kerr's system. And then you you have the ability a year from now to go back into the market and say, hey, uh, Russell has been, uh, hopefully in their case, a a great fit for us. Uh, What else can we do to build around Steph, Clay, and Draymond? Uh, and that's the key now for them moving forward, is it really seems like they're committing not only to Stephen Clay, but Draymond Hoodie is going to get all the money that he wants, either from the Warriors or somewhere else, so long as he stays at the same level. He keeps his body in shape, and he keeps playing the way we saw uh, throughout the postseason for this team. So the Warriors aren't done by any stretch. They've got way too many proud players within that organization to think that they're just kind of going to roll over. I would just say this year, this coming year, with Russell, 
he's going to fit what they want to do offensively. Defensively, it's going to be a struggle at times with, with he and Steph on the floor. Uh, but a long-term fit at this point still seems a little cloudy. When I talked to you this weekend about Kevin Durant and his decision to go to the Nets, and I asked you to, to characterize his time with Golden State, you immediately talked to me about the championships and how he made the right decision to win championships. That is true. But what also is true is that KD felt like it was KD and the Warriors. He told you that. Yeah, he told he talked to how there he felt that there was a divide even though he was on the team. Very mercurial and, and you and I have had a lot of discussions about Kevin Durant, how much I appreciate him as a basketball player, how much you appreciate him, but yet he's always gonna have that chip on his shoulder, like that Twitter egg and that silhouette on on Instagram haunts him every night. He's so concerned about perception. So I will ask you this, away from the championships, how would you characterize Kevin Durant and his time with Golden State, with the media, fans, etc.? Hoodie, it's interesting in talking to the people that were there for the start of Kevin's tenure because in that, they say in that first season, he was in great spirits all the time. Uh, and he really got close to several guys in the locker room, and he just fit within the framework of that team. Same goes for the second year. He was dealing with uh, a couple injuries, but, I mean, Kevin really seemed to to click. Everybody enjoyed being around him. It was this last year where things just got off track, and everybody remembers the, the blow-up uh, with Draymond and Staples, but it was more than that. When, when you talk to people within the organization, they just think that he had kind of pulled away uh, from – from everybody else at times and had isolated himself. I mean, in the end, in this last six, seven-month stretch, his only real close friend in that locker room, at least that he spoke to on a, on a regular basis, was Quinn Cook, uh, who he grew up with and, and he's known uh, since back in their, their time together uh, in the D.C. area. So it, it, I, the hardest part with Kevin is, and I cannot stress this enough, he has been awesome to deal with from a media perspective. His teammates and coaches can't stress enough just how talented he is. I mean, he's an incredible player. There are just these moments where you're like, what is going on? And, and you know, I, I think if I've learned anything from Kevin in the last year, Hoodie, it's that Kevin Durant is a reminder that while basketball players are rich and they are famous and they seemingly have everything going for them, they are also human. And they have bad days like everybody else, and they have times when they just don't want to deal with uh, all of what comes uh, of being a, a basketball superstar in, in 2019. But I always thought that was Steve Kerr's uh, best point through the times when and Kevin would have these back and forth either with with the media or with teammates or you know whatever and and trying to deal with the speculation and and it, as you mentioned the eggs and the social media part of it he said would you sign for the money that stars sign for in this era of the league for 30 35 million this is part of the deal and this is what you have to deal with in in talking to uh, the media on a regular basis and dealing with the requirements of the job. So uh, I, I really enjoyed my time being around Kevin. I am just 
so intrigued now moving forward. How will that work in New York, uh, in Brooklyn? And how will his relationship with Kyrie, that appears to be so strong now, how will that stand the test of time over the years, especially uh, when they face adversity that comes to any player and anybody in the league? So uh, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch over the next few years, and I wish him luck personally. Uh, but there are, there are a lot of signs as to why everything kind of broke down the way it did uh, over the last nine months or so. Nick Friel covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I have no problem with Golden State making changes because with KD leaving, with the injury to Clay Thompson, you got to be able to upgrade your, your talent. So with Andre Iguodala, whether his comments on the Breakfast Club was a factor or not, it was time for a change. I would say that the timing is curious on this, Nick. I mean, Iguodala, who speaks his mind, even before the Breakfast Club, he said some things that made me scratch my head that he said on the record. And he, you know, he's a little bit of an oddball. But I think that that was maybe the impetus to say, okay, we can turn the page here on this aging veteran. Hoodie, I... I understand that part of it, and, and maybe that had a little to do with it. I just don't believe that in the end uh, that was uh, the straw that, that broke the camel's back. Andre is beloved in that locker room. He's always been a bit of an oddball <laughs> in how he he deals with the media, and, and he, he says certain stuff. But the reality in the Warriors' mind was if we want to get Russell in, on this max deal, these are the moves uh, that that have to happen, and the, you know it's why already you can feel the the angst from within the Warriors fan base, and you can feel the questions throughout the league. Does this really work? Because we we know that Iguodala in that system works. We know I cannot uh, tell you enough just how beloved uh, he was by the players he was around on a regular basis. Uh, so would it be better to, to switch it up with Russell uh, on this max deal and, and to knock out Iguodala and, and Hoodie, what I feel like is getting lost in this whole conversation, the depth now. I mean, the Warriors are, are going to be hard-capped. There, there's just not a lot of ways to improve what was already kind of a leaky bench all season because of the top-heavy nature of the roster. So... Uh, whether it's the right move or the wrong move will, will be seen over time. In regards to Iguodala, uh, he he wanted to be there. He enjoyed his time uh, in the moment, but he does not strike me at all as the type of guy who is is going to uh, to be all that upset and not be able to to go on knowing the business of basketball. He had his eyes wide open uh, to what may happen and what he's already accomplished. And looking back, I mean. The Warriors speak so highly of what Iguodala brought them, and, and when he signed on, Golden State was not really a destination for players, uh, for at least for marquee players over the years. I think what's going to end up happening is they're going to retire his jersey uh, whenever he does decide to, to retire and move, move on with the next phase of his life. So uh, it, it's an interesting discussion, but as far as he goes, uh, he has earned really – 
in, in the framework of that team, the credibility to do what he wants. And I, I don't think those comments uh, had as much of an impact as, as many would believe. This league is so much fun, isn't it? <laughs> it just never like... stops. <laughs> it doesn't this, stop anymore. There was a time is... when I started, and, and, and you and I were going back and forth you know, 10 years ago. The NBA kind of stopped. Yes, there were there were months where there just wasn't much to say. There wasn't much going on. That is not the case. There is something almost every single day with the NBA, and and this is the way they want it. But this is why, especially to a younger audience, that it's so appealing because there is there is always another storyline. There is always another narrative being built, and that's part of the fun in, in the way the league has grown. Uh, especially over the course of the last four or five years here. So I'm not going to ask you the unfair question of who is the favorite in the West, because the question that I should ask you is, doesn't Kawhi Leonard hold the keys to the Eastern and Western Conference championship? Meaning that no matter what he decides to do, whether it's the, the Clippers or going to Toronto or going someplace else, isn't he one of the linchpins to determine who could be one of the favorites in either conference? Hoodie, he holds all the keys. It's, it's Kawhi's league in the moment. And if KD hadn't gotten hurt, you could make the argument that, that Kevin held all the keys because if Kevin didn't get hurt, I wholeheartedly believe that the Warriors win that series. <laughs> so uh, in, in this time and place, though, wherever Kawhi decides to go, that's the team to beat, in my opinion. Because if he stays in Toronto, you know that they have the ability to, to keep it rolling, and they've got the rest of that court in place. If he goes to the Clippers, the Clippers are going to continue to build on what they've already got, and I'm sure, Hoodie, and this is getting lost in the, the fog of free agency in the moment, I'm sure the Clippers will go out and find a way to to get somebody else before the trade deadline next year uh, if Kawhi appears. And if it's the Lakers, I mean, my God, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi, I know there's so much more talk about depth, but the reason there's more talk about depth than Toronto trying to change the, the balance of the way teams are built, that's because Golden State stars got hurt. <laughs> so the stars always win. Uh, historically, and they're outliers, sure, but stars win. And if you get enough of the top-level stars, and in that case, I mean, we're talking about Kawhi, AD, and LeBron, that's three of the, what, top five players in the league right now. So that would be awesome to watch. Uh, I know that there would be a lot of teams gunning for them the way they gunned at the Warriors for all these years, but, man, I... Hoodie, out of all the years I've covered the league, and I mean I'm going into like my 12th season here, this is the most excited I've been at this point in the year to start a season just because of the uncertainty of all of it. And obviously whatever Kawhi decides, that would give more certainty. But this is not uh, just game, set, and match the way it was for so many years before. Somebody is going to have to really really find their way in a really talented top of the east and west which team is the most compelling to you now 
like like if you were going to cover them, what do you think is the interesting story right now in the NBA that you want to cover every day? It's the not the it's, it's yeah. not the Warriors clearly because you got to wait another year for that. But which right. team in East or West you say, whoa, this is be a very compelling story? The relationship between KD and Kyrie is so intriguing to me. <laughs> so intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hoodie, obviously with KD out next season, we're not going to see how that fully forms uh, this year. So in the moment, this season, I am so, so uh, interested in what is going on in Philly. You leave Jimmy Butler out of the mix. You, you decide that, that you don't want to pay him uh, that, that mega money because you're already paying Tobias Harris. Uh, you bring in Al Horford. The big question to me with that team, on top of can Embiid stay healthy, because that's always the question for that group, but without Jimmy, the guy you fed the ball to in the fourth quarter late in playoff games, can Tobias Harris take that next step? And can Ben Simmons learn how to shoot consistently? If they can, if both of those guys go to a different level than they've been at, Hoodie, that's the team to me right now, depending on what else happens over the next next six, seven months, that's the team that can get out of the East because they have the presence down low in Embiid and Horford, and they have the talent at the perimeter. I'm just not as big a, a Tobias Harris fan as, as many out there just because I don't know if he can do that. Uh, and with Simmons... If they really trusted him the way they're going to need to, they would have given him the ball in the fourth quarter of those games. So uh, how that all comes together uh, is is going to be what I'm watching for most uh, going into next season. Hey, the Bulls got Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young. Mm. Uh... You don't see just how wild the crowd is. You don't see Jonathan Hood. We thank you for being part of the program here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Our thanks to Ryan Hollins, Bill Barnwell, Nick Friedel for being with the show produced by Felix on the other side of the glass. Tomorrow, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock again, Summer of Football. We'll look further into NBA free agency and a lot more on a Tuesday edition of Under the Hood with John of the Hood. Don't forget to download the podcast, Under the Hood with John of the Hood, wherever you download your podcast. Subscribe, download it. It's right there for you. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 7 right here on UTH. Hey, yo, Jay Hood, you know nobody covers the sports like you do, man. Let's go.